Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Hello? Hello? Love Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is May Wilkinson and tonight I will be assisted with by Chuck Wally who will be manning our uh, our bridge line and the tweet chat and I'm especially thrilled to introduce our guests this evening who are Carol Kranowitz and Joy Newman, co-authors of Growing an Instinct Child, Simple, Fun Activities to Help Every Child Develop, Learn, and Grow. And just by way of background, these two ladies are not strangers to our community. Carol is the author of the Out of Sync Child, Recognizing and Coping with Sensory Processing Disorder, and Joy is founder and director of the Kids Moving Company. So, ladies, welcome. Oh, thank and you. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled. We are really excited. And tonight we're going to talk about what you all have described as sort of a, a prequel in terms of helping children develop um, the, the, the sensory integration and processing skills. And you all concentrate a lot on the importance of movement. Can you all tell us a little bit about why you are focusing on movement and why it's so important? Absolutely. Uh, This is Joy speaking. Carol and I um, come from movement from sort of different directions, but we are both very concerned about how technology has uh, compromised the amount of movement children get, especially in the early years. And we both understand the uh, profound importance that motor development and sensory motor development and visual development have on the developing child. And so we wrote this book for parents and educators and unfortunately even sometimes pediatricians to uh, pay special attention to the importance of movement and and uh, give children more opportunities to move. Carol. That's good. And Joy, uh, May, you, you used the word prequel in in your introduction of us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just chatting earlier about uh, how Joy Joy and I feel that the, our our new book, which came out uh, last year, Growing an Instinct Child, um, is a prequel to learning uh, more about kids' development. It's uh, We think it's kind of easy and fun and uh, user-friendly, and we hope parents will pick it up and say, oh, here's some good activities, and gosh, this one's going to help my kid cross the midline, and this one's going to help my kid with balance, and these are things I never really thought were that important. And what we hope to do is have parents realize that um, using both hands together to catch a ball and tracking a bird in flight and um, being able to stand on one foot are all really, really essential skills that we overlook because we we tend to let our kids sit a great deal more than necessary. So we want this book to be a prequel to learning more about um, how kids 
uh, develop and what parents can do if they need to have the child uh, get a little more attention in certain areas. And I think also we want we want people, uh, parents to understand because even adults, I think, are moving less than they used to because of all the technology we have. We don't, if we see something we want to buy, we just walk to our computer and press a little click with our thumb and we've purchased it. We don't have to walk to the store or anything. And if we want food, we go to a grocery store. We don't grow it anymore. And so parents are depending on technology for instant gratification. And so it makes sense that it would um, filter down to child raising. And the the really important thing to remember is you can't, there are no shortcuts when raising a child, certainly not raising an instinct child. You really need to go through the whole process, and we want parents to understand that. You know, and and I think it's even beyond good parenting. It's a it's a matter of good health. I was reading oh, a study today. Oh yeah, I was reading a study today that kids who spend a lot of time looking at screens, there's something about the arteries in their eyes are constricted or smaller than those that get a lot more exercise, and that seems to be a very very um, reliable predictor of a person's health over the years is is that whatever that eye strength is. Are you all familiar with that study? I'm not familiar with that study, but I am familiar with the fact that children are born with 2200 vision, which means that things that that adults with 2020 vision can see from um, 200, is it feet, Carol, or yards? It's feet, right? Feet. Yes. Feet. So, so what adults can see from 200 feet away, children um, need to be 20 feet away. Is that right, or did I get that backwards, Carol? Um, In any event, children are born <laughs> farsighted, and left to their own devices, they would not become 2020. They would not have developed 2020 acuity until about um, six or seven years of age. And what that means is that children should be really working what we call at far. So they shouldn't be doing things at near. We don't want kids writing or, or playing with their little video games or doing anything at near, we call it, in, with close to their eye. So there's a lot of ways that we're keeping optometrists and ophthalmologists um, really busy, I think, yeah. unfortunately. You, you know, when we think about the senses and all, all the all the all the skills that are innate, they um, they they are for our survival. We we need to be able to see what's coming at us, and we need to be able to focus and refocus rapidly as we look at the um, monster coming over the horizon. And we have to know how to run away from it and climb the tree or <laughs> or do something else. And and we you know we make we have so many judgments that must be made in a nanosecond like like how to swing the bat in time to hit the ball or how to jump back on the curb before the car coming down the street is going to roll over us we um we don't have time for rusty eyeballs and uh what joy and i are, are concerned about because we talk to optometrists a lot what we're concerned about is that with um, kids looking at things that are two feet from their faces all the time, they're not developing that far point vision, and they're not um, getting a lot of those uh, visual experiences of rapidly. And they're not. They're also not learning about space. So if you look at adults, if you go outside and look at adults, probably half of them will be not even looking where they're walking. They're looking at their blueberries or blackberries, whatever they're called, and they're 
um, I know they're PDAs or something like that, or they're cell phones. And and when you're a little kid and you're doing that, the way you learn about space is by moving through space. So if you have a little kid and you carry him from one side of the room to the other, he's not going to learn anything about distance. But if he walks or crawls from one side of the room to the other, then his brain is making sense of that. So we're finding that these kids that don't move through space, they sometimes have very disorganized papers when they need to write, and they don't understand spatial concepts in terms of um, in terms of how to write, but also in terms of how to move. So Carol told me about this really interesting study in London about taxicab drivers. Carol, will you tell that? Oh, they were they. they hear- the GPS one? Uh, yeah, yeah, this was fascinating. Um, the old-time cabbies in London um, have to be very experienced in driving around a terribly complicated city. And they they have um, hippocampi in their heads that help them with direction, and, and they're, they're, they have good, healthy hippocampuses. Hippocampi, whatever the plural is. Hippocampi. Hippocampi. Newer... Um, younger London cab drivers who use the GPS have diminished hippocampi because they don't have to use them to learn uh, all about directionality and distance and um, uh, visual spatial skills. They just look at the little screen. So every time we're using a screen to make our life easier for us, Joy and I are convinced that we're actually making it harder for the developing child. Mm-hmm. And even, I probably we can all, everyone listening can think about this, how many people do we have on speed dial that we don't know their phone numbers anymore? I try not to use speed dial because I'm afraid I will forget people's phone numbers, but then that happens. You you t- you take things, I think our brains might, sh- I think mine's shrinking now, but I think our brains <laughs> might shrink from not using them enough. Yeah, mine shrink in college. <laughs> yeah, that maybe mine did too for uh, other well, reasons. Let me ask okay. you guys this. Is that what you mean by saying that movement is the first teacher? Because, and how does that tie into those um, lower level um, sensory uh, processing skills. You talked about visual, spatial, but is, is movement, I suppose, will, will definitely help with the vestibular development and proprioceptive. Of course. I mean, Carol, you could do, I'll do the visual part, Carol, and you do the sensory. Okay? Uh, yes. So, uh, so movement, I mean, if your little baby is lying on her back in her crib and she reaches for the, for the rattle or the mobile, she's learning about space. She's learning how to direct her vision, how to, when she, when she touches something, when she actually feels something as she's moving and looking at it, all of that stuff is getting put together in her brain to make sense of it. And she's going to use it for everything for her whole life. But if a child just lies there and doesn't do anything, that child's not going to develop any perceptual motor skills, which are come after, actually, the sensory skills, which Carol is going to talk about. But probably anybody listening to this conversation can think about a time when you don't feel so good, and then you get up and you move, you do a dance, you play tennis, you walk up the stairs to take the laundry, you walk your dog around the block, you feel better because you moved. And I believe, Carol and I both believe that happens it's a very big, even in utero, the kids are right. moving. Right. The more, you know, we're born to move. And again, back to the basics, we need to move in order to protect ourselves. 
to um, to get from one spot to another, to forage for food, to uh, interact with other people. We we're not meant to just be born and just just sit quietly. Uh, um, uh, there's um, there's also a tendency these days. And I know parents are aware of this and are trying hard to avoid it, but it's so easy to t- to put your child into a seat and <laughs> click him into the frame in the back seat of your car, and then click him into your stroller, and then click and then take him and stick him on the kitchen counter, and let him nap there, and you can feed him there. And our little never babies, touched them. Yeah, our babies, their tummies never touch the floor, and. Um, they, they they're don't look, touch anything. They're looking at the ceiling, and um, even their heads are protected. They're not permitted to wobble their heads too much in the car, so they have the you know the the protections beside their cheeks. These poor little guys are like like imprisoned when they're supposed to be curious and given the opportunity to be curious and. And we're not trying, I think it's really important to say that we're not blaming anybody at all. It's an entire culture right. that we that has developed around us, and um, and I, I, most I would say that the majority of people don't have a clue that this is important. Which is why we wrote the book. We, we're not trying to blame anyone. We're not trying to say it's anybody's fault. We're trying to say, hey, let's let's jump back a little bit here. Yeah. This stuff has happened so quickly, and for many of us, it's given us great shortcuts that are helpful. Although at times we probably all hate our computers and wonder why they're supposed to make things faster when we spend days trying to figure them out. But but um, we it, it, we really want parents and adults to just take a step back and. There was nothing wrong with the basics. You know, all those games we used to play in in first grade, like A, my name is Alice, and jump rope games, and tag, and, and red light, can. green light. Those were great games. They weren't just fun, but they, they, you know, playing a game like red light, green light probably is as good, if not better, towards developing reading skills as uh, some, you know, computer game that you put on and move the A into the word using your finger. Yeah. May, when um mm-hmm. when I um Joy and I do presentations we uh, we ask for a lot of input from our our crowds there and uh one thing that um I like to ask people to do is to think of an activity that uh they enjoyed as a child and something that they like to think about now and then, now that they're an adult. And then we talk about it. And um Almost everybody uh, thinks of a out, an outdoor activity, mm-hmm. and uh, those are the those mm-hmm. are the free mm-hmm. free activities where kids are using their bodies. That's the first thing. There, there are lots of senses involved, and the the activities that are important and memorable and giving us lifelong skills are sensory rich perceptually motor-rich activities. And it is a rare, 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 rare person who says... Parcheesi. Uh, Parcheesi. <laughs> right. That's right. Boy, uh, uh, they don't say weeding. Even though weeding and Parcheesi are perfectly great, mm-hmm. they use their examples. are always jumping into the waves with Granddad and and climbing up to the silo rooftop and jumping into the haystack and um 
or even playing kickball or anything, but it's moving your body. Right, right, and And that's what's memorable. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should let her talk now. I know. No, no, no. (laughs) Sorry. We are just so passionate about this. We... We loved writing this book so much, and we had such a wonderful time doing it, but we really are passionate about this. And I find myself being in a restaurant with my family and looking around and seeing kids, you know, seeing a table of people and the adults are on their Blackberries and the kids are in their handheld video games. And I quickly call Carol and say, can I talk to them? Can I go over and tell them that they're making me crazy? And, um, it, you know, if, if people are aware of it, they might see it in others as well as in themselves. And um, we're, yeah. we're scared. <laughs> we are. We're scared yeah. because we're going to we're going to this next population. I mean, certainly the little kids now don't know what a radio is or why you say dial the phone, because there's no dial to use on the phone or um so, you, know, you know, there was a great Dennis the Menace cartoon that said, how can Mr. Wilson have a virus? He's not a computer. And there was another one. with a, I remember that one. Yeah, there was another one, a family circle, I think, and the little girl said, why does Grandma's phone have wires on it? So, well, Listen, I think you guys have made your point. I hope so. We haven't shut up for the first 15 minutes. But. Well, now what? Well, now I think I'd like to put you to work, and that okay. it, and um, you are probably the most capable people we know to help us with this. Um, the audience for Copy Clutch are typically uh, parents of special needs kids, and that means that they're going to have our children are going to have um, motor issues. So going back to the the prequel, you know, we some of our kids we had a tough time putting them on on tummy time because the kids didn't like it. They they mm-hmm. didn't seem to want to engage with us. So um, going out. But there are ways to. Okay. That's where I want you guys to go next. Okay. You gave me a list of wonderful things. Let's talk about for kids who are averse or for kids who have been sitting there with a, a video machine, you know, how do we start getting them active, either if they're reluctant to do so because they're not in the habit of it or they're reluctant to do so because maybe their little bodies aren't aren't quite ready. So um, you, you listed a few activities here, so help us out. Tell us how we can put our kids, who may not want to be active, how we can start getting them to move. Okay, Carol, you want to start? You want me to start? You start. Okay. So the first thing I think is that it depends on the age of the kid, and it depends on where where the child is in his movement. I, a lot of times parents can look at themselves and see that their family really doesn't move a lot. They don't do a lot of things as a family that's moving. So a family of readers it probably won't have a kid that likes to rock climb. So they can go for a walk in the woods. You can, you know, there's an obstacle course waiting for everyone wherever there's woods or wherever there's a park. There's an obstacle course. For I mean, can you give me a specific example, Mang? Not of a person, uh, just any, just you know, give me a name, and I'll, I mean, a, a level and an age, and I'll play with it. All right, let's let's talk about um, maybe a child who uh, doesn't tolerate heat very well and being able or or um in the uh, has uh, allergies um outdoor allergies or maybe someone who um might have uh some some gross motor type of of delays 
Okay. I mean, well, those are just a few kind of examples. Okay. First of all, there you can do a lot of movement inside, no matter how small the room is or how small the place is. There's an obstacle course anywhere in your house. All you have to do for an obstacle course is go over, under, around, and through. So you can use a chair and a table and do an obstacle course. Using those words, a lot of those kids don't even know what that word means. Under to a kid that's just done video games means put your little cursor under the letter. So now if for a child who's been playing with video games, take that video game into a three-dimensional space. So if the idea is that you have to move your little man from left to right before the dragon falls from the top, do that. Have balloons. And you throw a bunch of balloons in the air, and you have to run through the from one side of the room to the other, avoiding the balloons. <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, it's the first time somebody probably won't have an idea of how to do it. But after a while, he's going to have to be aware of space, and he's going to have to duck, and he's going to have to move his body around, and... It's going to feel good. Yeah, drape a towel, uh, drape a sheet over a table and make a a tunnel uh, and encourage the child to crawl because a lot of kids with the motor problems are not that good at crawling, and crawling is. Every. We should all crawl. Yeah, it crawl. It's yeah, we never we, too much. We crawling. love crawling because, because <laughs> you're never too old to crawl. That's right, because there's so much. Um, sensory information that comes in, tactile, proprioceptive, vestibular. There's directionality. There's, there's laterality. Laterality. There's, right, there's balance and bilateral coordination. Another thing you can do a lot is use, for kids that that can uh, can use their vision to do this, use visual targets. So have a child move through space, either engage him with eye contact or say, can you move towards the red circle or you know here there's another there's a great game in um our book called how many steps and this is for higher functioning kids but you say um okay look at the car and this is a way to just work this right into your regular routine look at the car how many steps is it going to take you to reach the car and let the child figure it out and then let the child try and even if he does, you know, the idea is to have X number of even steps, of your regular steps. And when a novice at this will take three big steps and then seven tiny steps to make it work into his projection, but, uh, I mean, prediction. But uh, you're still using space and directionality and thinking. Another, and if you don't have a car, you could take <laughs> a stick. You could take a stick and toss it on the grass a little bit. Beanbag, anything. Yeah, and have the child try to jump to it or over it or next to it. You know what, another thing is to just use movement words. When you're coming to the kitchen, today we're going to have backwards day. And so today everything we're going to do is backwards. Oh, yay, dessert first, huh? Can you find a way to come into the dining room backwards? And now (laughs) when you clear the table, you have to move backwards. Or we can have sideways day or we can have tippy-toe day. Or we can have a quiet day. You have to find a really quiet way to move. And if that's too abstract for a really beginning mover, then you just say, today I want you to come in and pretend you're a kangaroo. How would a kangaroo (laughs) move in here? Today I want you to be a snake. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you'll be surprised, or maybe you won't be surprised, that, that a child who hasn't moved will have no idea of how to move on his tummy. He'll be able to tell you. He might be able to tell you how 40 different species of snakes, where they're from and all that other stuff, but he may not be able to get his 
body to move that readily like a snake. I have another suggestion, May. Sure. Um, um, for so many, so many, many kids with developmental delays are really, really bright and have deep, passionate uh, areas of interest. So, uh, like the Civil War or the planetary system or Thomas the Tank Engine or 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 um, any of them. Any you know any or bridges or all kinds of all kinds of things. Uh and when we parents know that it's urgent to get our kid off off the couch or you know mo- moving more, sometimes if we can take that special um interest and weave it into the activity, that is a motivator. So, if your child is not inclined to crawl, for instance, um you might, let's see, um Move give like him a dog. Right? Yeah, quite yeah. like a Martian. If he likes dogs, if he likes dogs right. Or, How does a Martian move? How does somebody from right. Neptune move? It can't move the same That's way as right. a Martian moves. So That's how right. would a person from Neptune move? Right. You know what I'm learning from you all is that you you don't have to take your child out and get them hot and sweaty and sore. Mm-hmm. To, or to yourself. The movement. Um, right. It is really it's really a type of educational play based upon a movement and and it doesn't have to be strenuous. It's right. You have to move. Is that right? It's just moving. And you know what? You can start, for somebody who's really, really moving, start with, today, let's move just our fingers. Let's figure out all the different ways we can move our fingers. And tomorrow, we're going to move our wrists and our fingers. And then we're going to move our our arms and our shoulders. No, you can't move your leg. Uh-uh-uh. We're not moving legs today. We're just moving arms. <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, make it a, just make it joyous. But the whole idea is that a person who feels good in his body is going to be better at everything in life, including feeling good, including having self confidence, including feeling competent. And you're not. There's so many people. I like to when I'm working with children. I like to explain to their parents that sometimes their child just is not living in his body. He's just not there. It's almost like a glove, and the fingers are all in the fist still, and none of them have made it all the way into the fingers of the glove. And you're trying to get that person who lives in that body to expand into every single aspect of that body. Does that make sense? It does. Um, Is that why sometimes our children have marvelous reflexes, but they have very poor motor planning skills, so if they have to think about it, they they can't. Well, if they have to but think it's, about it, it's not motor planning. Okay, so can you so so does that kind of bring the mind and the body together? Well, I'm wondering by what you mean by reflexes, because that's probably a a bit of a misnomer and a bit of a catch-all for. Thing. Some some kids, I think, may have retained primitive reflexes, which is a whole other that's, program. That's what, I, that what I was talking about. You're talking about pre- re- retained mm-hmm. primitive reflexes? Mm-hmm. Well, anybody who has retained primitive reflexes, I would not say has good reflexes, but didn't you preface it by saying a child who has good reflexes but doesn't have good motor planning? Yes, yeah, I, I think I misspoke, and you're helping to educate us on things. <laughs> So so a child may have some of these lingering primitive reflexes, but right. these types of movements can also help. Do, do these primitive reflexes go to away? To inhibit, to integrate the primitive reflexes. Okay. I think it's important, Carol and I would agree, that sensory motor, visual motor, and perceptual motor 
and gross motor and fine motor development are all sequential. And left to his or her own devices without any kind of input at all, a normally developing child will develop in the same sequence. Not all kids at the same rate at the same time, but in the same sequence. And uh, I don't want to say frequently, but, well, frequently in the kids that I see because I have a therapeutic practice, but uh, often children don't develop in the proper sequence, and so they've skipped over some steps. And uh, when that happens, everything that develops after that is going to have an uneven base. And so eventually, if you think of a pyramid and think of the bottom level as a very early sensory skills and very early uh, neonatal skills and build up from there. If you skip a few, I guess a good example is uh, parents who love to get their kids to walk and they hold their kids' hands up so that they, to help the child walk and they say, well, my child really wants to walk. And Carol and my answer would be, when your child, if your child wants to walk, he'll figure out a way to walk. But by your doing that, you're keeping him from developing the balance he's going to need and perhaps the laterality he's going to yeah. need to yeah, really be able to yeah. walk. Yeah, um, you know, kids do need to fall because then they lear have to learn how to pick themselves up. And um, so I know how I know how we want to protect our kids, especially the clumsy ones. And it seems it's almost counterintuitive that we have to let them tumble a few times and and learn learn those skills about how to. Um, how to, how to get, motor plan. Every time you get up, you motor are motor plan. planning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But but sometimes we try to, as Carol said before, we we try to give our kids shortcuts, saying to ourselves, well, my child really, you know, my child really wants that toy, so I'm going to hand it to him. And our feeling is if the child really wants a toy, it's okay if he cries a little bit. If he really wants a toy, he'll figure out a way to get over there to get the toy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big thing I see in my practice is handwriting. These children who learn or taught handwriting when they're four or five or six, and they're really not ready to do that. They don't have the proper proprioception for holding the pencil. They don't have the proper laterality for holding one hand still and the other hand moving. They don't have the directionality or the spatial awareness to know how to do things, but their papers look beautiful. And that's because they are involved in the actual uh task of forming those letters, but it is not an integrated skill, so when it comes to third or fourth grade and they have to write for content, they're still working on the physical skill of writing, and parents don't understand how he has such great ideas, and he could write when he was young, and how come he can't write now, and they send them to tutoring, and that's not what it is at all. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, will you, um, okay, so when you went through the progression uh, this natural sequence. You used a number of words that I'm not sure that all of us are familiar with. Can will you will you just kind of, in layman's term, walk us through that progression? Like, you mean like primitive reflexes? Yeah. Well, the I the, think uh, midline crossing proprioception, that kind of that, stuff. Yes. Yes. Please. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, I'm taking Joy, a breath. Joy and I are used to to. Um, saying the same things at the same time sometimes. We're the same person in yeah. different bodies. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Uh, a brief glossary. Uh, the, 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 skill, the sensory skills that a baby learns in utero are um, the ta tactile, vestibular, and proprioceptive senses are in, 
pretty good shape in most babies. The baby comes out ready to know what kind of um, uh, touch is going to be beneficial. So you stroke his cheek minutes after he's born, and he'll turn toward this toward that touch because that he's going toward the source of food. Or he likes skin against skin. He likes to be cuddled and held. That's good. He doesn't like it if you scratch him with your fingernail. And he can already tell that. And so the more the baby um, touches and is touched, the stronger his tactile system grows. He's also born with a sense of when he's falling. So he'll reach out and grab for something uh, instantly to protect himself from falling. He's already able to move his limbs around in his vague way. And the more he moves, the more he learns how to do that. So Charles, this is a- brief. <laughs> Brief, and you're still on one thing. I'm done. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> done. I'm done. That was that tactile, vestibular, and proprioceptive. Right. Skin, skin movement, body position. All right. And that's learned not by being taught the way we think you learn something because somebody teaches it to you. That's everybody's programmed to have that, and some kids are programmed less to have it for a variety of reasons, but they can get it usually sent to integration OT is where people go for help with that. Would you agree with me, Carol, on yes. that part? Okay. Yes. Okay. So, and, been... and so then once that stuff is in place, the higher-level things – called perceptual motor skills develop, and those are also developed. They're not taught, although we can give children um, experiences to help them figure out ways to develop those things. So, for instance, midline crossing, everyone has a vertical, a midline, a vertical line down the center of his or her body. A child or an adult without a midline crossing problem would use her dominant hand to reach across the midline to take a pencil. A child developing midline crossing or a child with a midline crossing issue will pick up the pencil with his left hand and transfer it to the right hand at the midline and then use it in the right hand. And so for a two-year-old, that's fine. For a three-year-old, that's even fine. But by the time you're ready to write, you need to have midline crossing so that your eyes follow your hand and you integrate the two sides of the world. So if you had a two-year-old, if you had an easel in a in your room and you had a jar of paint on each side of the easel, the two-year-old would pick up a brush with each hand and start painting at the same time with both hands. That would be normal. That's bilateral integration using both sides of the body. A three-year-old would pick up probably, it depends, a three-year-old might pick up one in each hand but would take turns, wouldn't do it one at the same time. A three-year-old is starting to develop one-handedness. A four-year-old would reach across and pick up the brush with her dominant hand and paint that way. Okay, or normally developing. I don't like to use ages, but, you know, four, five, or six-year-old. Before a child's ready to write, he would do that. So so we, in our book, we have we have described all of these skills that we're talking okay. about, and, and we've tried to do it unclinically, if that's a word, but um, in a way that we – we explain what it is and how and why it develops and how and why it's important to an adult or to a mature child. And we hope that parents will take that knowledge and recognize things in their kids. And where there is something not where it needs to be, our book helps you come up with ideas to do it. It, it Sometimes things aren't in a person's life because he's never been exposed to it. 
So uh, it, it, I, I just evaluated a little boy a few weeks ago who is seven and is, has an incredible mind and spent a lot of his life thinking and not moving and was running into some problems. And um, we started doing some activities, and now he is moving, and a kid in his class said to his mother, this little boy's getting starting to act very wild. He's not just thinking about important things anymore, which I think is a great, I mean, that's a great line. It's yeah. great to hear that this kid's moving. But he, so the question is, is, does he not move because he, because there's something wrong? Or did he not move because he never moved? And so yeah, I was right. able to say to the parent, let's wait six months. Now that he's moving, let's wait six months and see. He might catch up. You know, he'll never catch up to his mind because his mind is so, you know, he would be an Olympic athlete if he caught up to his mind. That's not important. It's just important that he moves, that he feels comfortable in his body. I, I want to just uh, insert something here um, because uh, I want I want people to go to the library and look at our book and maybe get some ideas from it. Uh, we we put in some pretty simple activities. Most of them don't use any equipment at all. Most of them can be done anywhere, uh, in the grocery store, in the car, in line, waiting for the movie ticket, wherever you are. Um, but what I want... Uh, what I want people to know is we have things like, I'm looking at one now, called Newspaper Crumple. Mm. And uh, this is a fun way to use newspapers. Um, it's rather really? For those people who still get newspapers and not oh, online. Yeah, that's right. That's, well, you can also do this with um, magazines. Um, <laughs> and, and so what we do is we say, okay, go get some old newspaper pages and maybe a laundry basket if you want to have a, a basket to throw the crumpled balls into, and just um, um, ripping the paper and squeezing the paper into balls is good for bilateral coordination, which is for doing push-ups and jumping jacks, we add. It's good for laterality, which is good for propelling a scooter. It's for proprioception, which is for squeezing finger paint out of the tube. And it's for tactile processing, which is for playing with stickers and finger paint. And what we want, what we try to do is say uh, that, you know, think about the activity of scrunching up a ball. It's for a gazillion things, but but um, the um, skills that are developing are not just for newspaper crumpling. They're for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so, like, you know, guys, I, yeah. You know, there's another thing that we have in the book that we'd like to say now. Many parents and educators are doing things to grow instinct children without even realizing why they're working, you know, or how important they are. Rolling a ball back and forth to a child sitting on the floor is something, you know, people have done for hundreds of years, I would guess. Um, And that's great on working at at visual tracking and spatial awareness and depth perception on all kinds of things. And we probably think it's, what a boring thing to do when he could be at the computer doing hooked on phonics or something else. But it is really really a pre-academic skill. Okay, here's one. Um, My almost three-year-old grandson was over, and uh, he was sitting at the kitchen counter, and I, I said, look, look, Isaac, here's baby Clemmy. And I held up this little orange clementine. 
and I handed it to him. And then I said, look, here comes Mama Orange. And look, here's Papa Grapefruit. (laughs) Well, he was tickled with this. He got the joke, and he started telling stories about... He had the he had a dialogue going, and Mama was going to take Clemmy to the grocery store, and Papa was going to carry Clemmy on his shoulders, and then now he's taking the little Clementine and balancing it on the grapefruit, and um, then I brought out all the plastic deli tubs, and he was plopping them into the in various combinations into the into the containers, and then we got on the floor and we started to roll them, and in fact. Dear parents who are listening, that's really good for citrus fruit. Um, you know, we get a lot of citrus fruit that's not quite ripe yet, um, <laughs> and it's hard. And actually, rolling it around breaks it up a little bit and makes it much more. Who succulent. told you that? I know it. Well, it's true. There's one thing you know that I didn't know. Joy, now you know. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, so you know, Carol and I really sit still, as you can well imagine, but. Um, okay, I forgot what we were talking about besides fruit. May? Fun things that you Your turn. Do. Well, it's really what we're talking about right now are fun things that we can do with our kids to help encourage movement, especially for kids who may not normally see movement as being a lot of fun to do. Right. But you guys are turning movement and exercise and learning into fun. And a big part of what you all are mentioning is having a beloved parent or adult actually participating with them. You know, there's another thing you can do that I think is really for kids that are stuck in video game land or even for kids who might be in a school that's a little more academic than it needs to be or that it's just academic. There's a lot of video games, board games, and quote-unquote activity sheets that can be moved outside. So if the activity sheet is draw a line connecting the red circles on either side of the paper and draw a line connecting the blue triangles, you can do that outside. You just take some construction paper and cut out the shapes and put them on the ground, and now can you jump from the red circle to the red circle, and can you roll from the blue triangle to the blue triangle? And if a kid is stuck in video game land, take an aspect of that and make him be the video game. So you create a virtual video game. Uh, and yeah, isn't that funny? That's a reverse, isn't it? Life. Yeah. The virtual really? game of the virtual game of life, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so this is, I, uh, you know, using, it goes back to educational play, using interest, bringing in, um, you know, uh, playing with the, the favored adult, with the parent. Um, lots of good ideas. I see another one here called... Um, Amazing grocery kid, and if I oh, that's Carol's favorite. I'm going to let Carol do that. (laughs) She loves that one. Amazing grocery kid. It's so great. You go to the (laughs) first. You go to the grocery store. Then (laughs) it doesn't have to even be a favorite adult. It just has to be an adult. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this is not in that activity, but I just thought of it. Um, If you um, collect coupons, or even if you don't, just go to the uh, like the food section in the newspaper. That is, if you get a newspaper or draw a draw draw a picture, uh, and then hand the child the picture of the apple and say, "Go find the apples," or "Go find mm. the Cheerios that match what's on the paper," and it mm-hmm. gives the child a mission. And you know, to make a kid feel needed is one of the 
most beautiful gifts we can give a child by the by the end of the day that um uh he's offering he's giving something to us so um his finding the cheerios is his gift to us and it makes him feel fabulous all right so now you check out you check out and then um supervise how the groceries go into bags so that the heavy things that are non-breakable go into some bags and those are the kids bags and you give the child the five pounds of potatoes and the two pounds... Or the watermelon, or carry the, the water, watermelon. Yeah, or the kidney beans, or the rice. You give, or the or the uh, water in the two-liter bottles. You give the heavy things to the kids, not the light things. Mm. And the child has to figure out, can he carry this in one hand? Well, no, he needs both hands. So, you know, he's got to work on his balance and his propulsion as he goes forward you don't want to you know you don't want to make it 10 tons but you want to um it's not a loaf of bread for 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 our kids who are not full of a lot of oomph we want to give them heavy things in fact you know I, I think we forget sometimes how much kids can do yeah. And and we think, oh no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll let me open the bottle for you. Let me open the box for you. Let me do this. They can do it. I mean, you know, for the kid that says, um, I can't. I mean, for Carol's kid that just said, I I can't carry this. And you might have to say, try it with two hands. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. You're not showing them how to do it. You're not taking the hands and putting them where they need to be. Try it with two hands. He still needs to figure out how to do it with two hands, but maybe it never occurred to him, and the next time he'll know to use two hands. Oh, I just thought of something. You know what would be fun? Get a pound, take the, the five pounds of rice and have him carry them on his head. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be, okay. yes, that so, would be fun. Okay, so this amazing delivery kid, look what he's doing for the family. He's helping bring the groceries in. And then and then you get home and you have him, oh, and have him push the cart in the store if Absolutely. And then, um, and then you get home and you have him help you take the bags out of the car. And And if he complains and says he wants to go in and play, his game or watch his TV, you can say this. You know, darling, I am so lucky to have a child like you, and when you give me five minutes of your time, that means I have five extra minutes to play Monopoly with you later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that might uh, get a child to think, well, wait a minute, maybe I can get more of Mommy's attention if I... It might, if they can think that far ahead. You might just say, this is what we have to do. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, True. You can... You might have to do it that way too, but yeah, you know it all depends on uh, yeah the understanding. It all depends, but the idea is that there's nothing wrong with with children working. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay if something's hard, and frequently something that's quote unquote hard for the child is very good for the child. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I sometimes we have to kind of shift our thinking a little bit. Oh, I'll take the heavy ones here. You take the light one. Yes, no. I understand. Uh huh. I do. I I think that's something that that we parents, particular. I mean, all parents do it, but particularly we parents of children with special needs have a tendency to overcompensate oh, for our kids, mm-hmm. and um, it's something that that we all um, watch 
um, and are aware of, and then we talk on it. We always catch ourselves doing it over and over <laughs> again. But but we but we are aware, and and it's not just the parents. It appears as though this is something that's also kind of organizational. There's um, in some of your notes to me, there was something about let the PTA bake sale proceeds go for playground equipment, mm-hmm. not for learning software. Um, and and you are. You've got yeah. a point there. Every yeah. PTA I've been involved in is, has wanted to purchase some sort of educational software. Yeah, I'm... but, you know, for little little kids don't need that. They mm. need those three-dimensional hands-on, body-on body on experience. Well, Carol, we can't say that. You, you, I, you can't say that. You can't say that across the board people don't need, you know, we don't know what schools we're talking about here. Some schools do need books, you know, we don't know. I'm, ta- but, no, I'm talking. I'm talking about computers. I'm, oh, okay, okay. I, I, I'm yes. sorry. I was. I was just talking about. I, may my experiences with preschoolers, and so I think yes, that preschoolers can, don't need computers. Uh, right, preschoolers don't need. need. Mm-hmm. But I think even younger kids. I think that they I think that the learning is happening on the playground, and the language skills, the team. Well, the learning play, that's going to that's going to um overflow into life you know the basic learning there might be some learning that you're learning on the computer about how to uh figure out the mass of whatever you don't need to know that when you're 3 you need to know how to roll down a hill yeah you know there uh-huh. so and rolling down a hill is developing skills that you're going to use when you learn to drive you know figuring out the the what letter goes in this word you know come on we all learned how to read and write without this stuff mm-hmm. right right well i think you all have made just some wonderful points and the other things i think you have also gotten rid of a lot of excuses for why <laughs> we don't have our kids move the way you all are explaining it's easy it's inexpensive it's fun. It's not necessarily, there are a lot of activities that aren't tied to um, certain physical abilities. It, it is just, and really, I think you've really gotten really important. You've really, really done away with a lot of the excuses uh, that <laughs> yeah. we parents have for not um, having our children move more more often. And uh and by doing that, you know, maybe maybe we can and can help uh, our kids going forward and actually accelerate. Um, or maybe maybe we've accidentally taught our kids not to be able to do certain activities because, as you mentioned, they haven't been exposed to it. So I thought I think this is a very good book, and I can't wait to go out and get it. I oh, really well, good. Do. Thank you. I, I think if we if we're gonna leave with something, I think what I would like to say is that is a few things. Number one, uh there's nothing wrong with making your kid work. You're not a bad parent by doing that. You're actually giving the kid a gift. Now, you know, don't you say you're three year old to a sweatshop, but you don't always have to make things easier. Sometimes, as Carol loves to say, by making things easier now, you're making things much harder later. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important thing to do. And you don't have to be afraid of movement. You, you don't have to, uh, you know, sometimes some of these special needs kids that are tend to be all over the place, I think adults are afraid that if we let them out of our sight, they're going to go all over the place. There's ways to harness what 
what a kid naturally does. And hopefully by reading this book, you'll be able to understand how to take what the child does naturally and make that work for where the child needs to be in the developmental spectrum of uh, sensory and perceptual and visual motor. Mm-hmm. Well, we have about nine minutes left. Are there any other pearls of wisdom that you would like to um, talk to us about, whether it's um, a, a tip or a an activity or a um, the roots of ADHD are born out of not <laughs> moving around enough? You know what? What? Share um, with us the things that we, we didn't get to talk about. Well, yeah. here, here's an here's an idea for. Uh, for parents who are tentative about trying new things that that they haven't done before, um, you know, we Joy and I we exuberantly say, "Go out and have fun with your child." And a lot of parents um, might not be comfortable trying that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> here, but so here's here, here's a here's one way. Pick up something like a cardboard tube from a um, Paper towels. Paper towels. Or um, an elastic band or uh, a paper cup. And say to your child, gosh, what could you do with this? And lots of times kids with special needs will say, I don't know, because they might be afraid that they'll crush it or they'll not say the right thing or they've never seen anything like it before. They um, They don't ideate which is, mm-hmm. they don't come up with a concept right away. So um, here's what you want to do. When they when they say, I don't know, don't let them get away with that. You know, they might, they might see if you can get it into the child's hand. Or say, then, what can you do with this and your hand? What can you do with this and your nose? Yeah. Okay. What can you do with this and your knee? How can you hold this without using your hand? Can you hold yeah. it with your chin and your chest? Yeah. Can you yeah. hold it with your yeah. ear and your shoulder? Yeah. Can you drop it? I mean, a lot of kids will drop it, and then you can say, hey, that's great. You dropped it. Can you it. drop it when I clap my it? hands? Right. Don't drop it till I clap my hands. Yeah. So you can just start that kind of that kind of thing. And it's so it, that's what's fun because you don't have to have um, a thirty nine ninety five uh game for the but also, you know, Carol, you said for people who aren't comfortable moving themselves, and sometimes some of these kids that don't move are because their parents. We mentioned that before, that they don't tend to move. And so there are a lot of – we have one of the things we've tried to index our activities in a lot of different ways, and one of the ways we have is these are specific activities for parents, for adults who don't like to move. Is that what we say, Carol? Something along those lines. We're when the, you're tired, I think. When you're um, when you're too, when you're feeling really tired, but you still want your child to move, try this activity. You know, that's what I wanted to ask you guys too. There are a lot of dads who are uh, very athletic out there. Then they buy all sorts of sports equipment mm-hmm. and sign their kids up for soccer camp. My, my husband was a semi-pro baseball player. And I just think he, he, he tries, but he just cannot. So you talk about movement. I'm the couch potato in the family, and my husband is moving around all the time. He's very, mm-hmm. very active. But I think his expectations for what a child are very high, yeah. are very high, and so he misses those connections. How can these the whatever whatever dad or mom or both of them that are highly athletic and skilled, how can they kind of 
tone it down a little bit. Well, they don't have to tone it down. They need to read the book, I think, or else come to Bethesda and we'll talk to them. But um, (laughs) we'll take them to lunch. But um, or run around the corner. Oh, but but I think. But but they can, if they read the book, they can use what their skills are. I mean, what they have to do. uh, It's funny. A lot of good athletes have terrible perceptual motor skills. And they can do what they can do perfectly, but they can't do the things that go into that. You know, you mean like a splinter skill, right? Like a splinter skill. Like if you may can't catch a ball, I can take you in the backyard and practice catching this red ball with you every day for a week. And at the end of the week, you'll be able to catch that red ball in your backyard. But if I were a good uh, therapist, I would say, why can't you catch the ball? Is it your motor planning? Is it your eye-hand coordination? Is it your bilaterality? Is it your proprioception? What is it? And work, never work on catching the ball. Work on developing those underlying skills, and then you'll be able to catch the ball. So, so um, I think good athletes sometimes have those expectations because they're afraid to look at themselves. You know, you might ask your semi-pro baseball player to do some of those activities in the book and see how he does. I you know, another say, thing to know is that moving, I'm sorry, we get so excited about this, <laughs> is that moving fast is much easier to do than moving slowly. Mm-hmm. Any motor task is much harder to do slowly. A lot of these athletes only know fast. They don't know slow. So hmm. uh, that's something to look at. Okay, here's here's one more thought for the dads who have their hearts set on playing baseball with their kids. Um Start with start with um, chores that that would lead up to some of those very very complex skills. I mean, like listen, you can get a lot of mileage out of citrus fruit. So, <laughs> you, you know, play catch with a grapefruit, uh, and uh, you take a grapefruit out of a bag, you toss it to your son, and his job is to place it in the fruit basket or or um strengthening activities um going up and down stairs a few times or um lifting lifting things and carrying things and pushing them washing the car is great i have a i have a, I have a friend who's an ot who says when you run out of heavy work activities for your child get a really thick rope drive oh, the car Drive the car over it so that a tire is resting on the rope and tell the child you hope he will be able to pull the rope out from under the car. Um, But, you know, it's it's building up those all those tiny little skills that mean that possibly a child might be able to stand in position, hold the bat in over his shoulder, watch the pitcher wind up, watch the ball. There's so much involved with that. So complex. And, and, and you know, start with a grapefruit. Well, you guys, I, I think. Or you know what else you could do? You can do. You can do um, baseball on the desk. You know, have cut out little tri- four triangles or four, and make those the bases. And and then you can he can uh, hit the ball with his finger, flick his finger, mm-hmm. and then he has to catch it. That's great for eye hand coordination uh-huh. and for tracking and for and for directionality. Mm-hmm. You have to roll the little. 
uh, what's the tiny little citrus fruit, Carol? The grape. Roll the, the kumquat. grape. Kumquat. <laughs> the kumquat, right. Yeah. From hey, all right, first. you guys, we, we've got it. We, uh, um, the way Blog Talk Radio works is it, it, it will cut you off at, at a given time. And before oh, we go, we're having only so got much like fun. A, I know. <laughs> we've only got about a minute and a half left, and I want to make sure that you all mention your websites. So um, where, uh, um, Carol, let's start with you. If people okay. want to learn more, I know you have a website. What is that called? And we'll go ahead and post it on. on. Oh, okay, well, let me let me start with our website, which is. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Which is, that's okay. It's in. Give me about 50 seconds. Thank you. InSyncChild.com. I-N hyphen S-Y-N-C hyphen child.com and that's where Joy and I have some tips and ideas and activities and And from there you can get to either of our other websites Carol's Out of Sync website and my Kids Moving Company website wonderful and you can contact any of us through email through that website and we will get it and we'd love to play with you we would love to answer your questions we love what we do we really do and we would love to help you guys grow in sync children wherever you are Will you guys give us a, uh, one of your your books, The Growing, to give away to one of our guests this evening? Oh, absolutely. All sure. right. Just well, to learn how, guys to, how to do that. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will be taking whoever is like the, I don't know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just pick somebody who's participated tonight, draw their names out of a hat, and we will give them a copy of your book. We'll send that you would be great. Address. Terrific. We'd be glad to do it. And, and everybody else can and get it tomorrow morning. That's and okay. everybody growing, else can buy it, as I was going to say. Growing an InSync Child. Growing an InSync Child by Carol Kranowitz and Joy Newman. You all have been fabulous. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening in. We really appreciate it. Talk Good to night. you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.